0: Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. Matthew 23, verse 37. For several weeks now, um, because it's been covered o- over uh, several chapters in the Gospel of Matthew... We have been with Jesus in the temple courts, in the, the court of the Gentiles there, in, in the temple there in Jerusalem, and um, it began with, of course, Jesus had come into the city um, on Palm Sunday, and he had been welcomed by, uh, by some, but especially by those traveling with him from Galilee, they, they saw the signs, they saw the fulfillment, they were beginning to understand and believe that he is the promised Messiah. So they were chanting um, uh, those messianic psalms, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All right? And then shortly thereafter, the, um, Jesus cleansed the temple, and, and that was already the, a sign that judgment was coming on the temple, that the, the way the religious leaders were were, were running the temple and, and really the whole way they were teaching and leading the people was, was wicked. And so Jesus was already um, rebuking them, correcting them, pronouncing uh, coming judgment on them. And then the next day he's in the temple in these courts and he's teaching and that's when they confronted him. Hey, who do you think you are, right? And that began this, this back and forth of them trying to, to stump him with their questions, trying to incriminate him with their questions. Questions, Jesus uh, triumphing over them, but then last week we saw He turned the tables and He uh, declared woes on them, pronouncing coming judgment. And and again, even in doing that, it was another chance for them to repent. It was a, it was kind of like the last chance, really, for them to repent and to say, "You're right, we're we're wrong, we we shouldn't be rejecting you as Messiah. We've been wrong the way we've been doing this. Please." it was a chance for them to turn and embrace Jesus as the promised king. Well, all of that is, is culminating in our passage today. Again, Jesus has been in the temple for several uh, <laughs> sermons, several chapters, but today he's going to leave the temple, and he's going to leave it never to return again. So this is a, this is a significant turning point in, in the, the gospel story and in... Um, Matthew's account here. So will you stand with me, please, as we read our text today? Our text is Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven, and we're going to read into chapter 24 uh, through verse 2. Please follow along as I read. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not see your houses left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. Every so often the the sports world, the sporting world, produces a a tragic story, and I'm not going to share names today I could and some names maybe you would recognize but the story goes something like this a young man is is drafted high drafted maybe high in the first round and he has everything going for him he has amazing God-given talent he comes from an athletic pedigree He's, he's drafted even into a winning culture he's already making millions of dollars now he is set up to succeed but then sadly he quickly begins making a, a lot of bad choices. He gets mixed up with the wrong crowd. He gets, perhaps he gets hooked on drugs or gambling. And he, he shuts down those who see this and who are trying to help. And, and it just starts to spiral and, and he crashes and burns. He's quickly out of the league. He ends up either in rehab or in jail or in some cases even dead. You hear about those stories once in a while, these tragic stories. And it's, again, it'd be sad for that to happen to anyone. And we know that that does happen to people as as the sinful world entangles them. But it seems especially tragic, doesn't it, when it happens to someone who, from the world's standpoint, had everything going for them like a star athlete, like a a movie star, or, or whoever. They had so much potential. As the saying goes, the world was their oyster, right? They had all these opportunities before them. But by their own doing, their lives had a tragic ending. Sadly, that is what happened to the Old Testament nation of Israel. They had been given so much. Right? Do you remember Paul talking about that in, in Romans 11? Let me just read that for you quickly. As, as he's um, lamenting the, the unbelief of, of Israel. Um, he talks about, to them has been given the prophets and, 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 and the covenants and, and the promises. And it's, Paul recognized if, if any nation had been blessed, if any nation had everything going for them, it was the Old Testament nation of Israel. God had had redeemed them. God had really formed them, right? He had redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt. He had formed them into a nation by giving them His law, by entering into this covenant with them. They knew God in a special way. They had this special relationship with God that no other nation had. Almighty God, the creator of the universe, had chosen them, had given them His word, had made these covenants and had promised in those covenants, that he was going to send a king, that he was going to send a promised king who, who would deliver them, who would lead them in righteousness. They'd had, through the years, they'd had many rotten kings. But he said, I'm going to send you a king who will, who will rule in, in ju- with justice and righteousness. But yet, we're going to see today, or at least have it predicted today, that The Old Testament nation of Israel is going to have a tragic ending. And that's the title of the sermon today. A tragic ending. I'm going to work through the passage we just read under three headings. And so it begins in verse 37. The first heading is Christ's passionate desire. Christ's passionate desire. Look at what Jesus says here right before he leaves the temple. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Remember, if you were with us last week in the, when Jesus gave the seven woes, the seventh and final woe was this, the fact that, that in their, throughout their history, Israel had always rejected the, the, the prophets. They had rejected and killed the prophets. And and last week, Jesus specifically was, again, directing these woes to the religious leaders and saying, you have the same spirit of rebellion, right? Because you're treating me the same way. I'm the ultimate prophet. I'm sent from God. I'm proclaiming to you the word of God and the, the, the truth that I am the promised one. And what are you doing? You're rejecting it and you're rejecting me. And so now we see, again... This rejection wasn't just from the religious leaders, although they were leading the people in that, but Jerusalem as a whole, the people as a whole, by and large, had killed the prophets, had stoned those who were sent to them throughout their history, and they were going to, in in short order, be doing the same to Jesus. Over and over, God had graciously sent his prophets to the people to point out their sinful ways, to warn them of coming judgment. To, to, to plead with them. Hey, if you don't change your ways, the, the wrath of God is coming. And so it was a call, every time a prophet came, it was a call to repentance. But yet, the nation as a whole rejected that message. And they not only wouldn't repent, wouldn't follow the, what was being proclaimed, but they said, we don't even want to hear you say that. We, and they would kill the prophets. And so here now Jesus is is lamenting this fact as he thinks about the nation, as he thinks about what is happening, what soon will happen. He says judgment is coming. And what I want us to see under this first heading, we'll talk about judgment not only today but in weeks to come, but what I want us to see in this text and under this first heading is that Jesus is not indifferent to this. He's not just saying, well, okay, this, this is the way it goes, you guys deserve it. And, uh, you know, you're going to get what's coming to you. That's not the heart of Christ at all. We see here Jesus is not this stoic executor of justice. He cries out, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And whenever in Scripture a name is repeated like that, it it means it has a lot of emotion behind it, right? Sometimes it's, you know, emotion in the sense of a very caring, you know, like... Martha Martha right you're worried over many things um, uh, Simon Simon you know satan has has requested to sift you like wheat but i have prayed for you that you're um, how's he say it I'm, that when once you, once you that you return you will re, um, be restored to your brothers and of course now the one that most closely mirrors what Jesus is doing here it made me think of David, um, because here it's a cry of grief, right? When when his son Absalom is killed, he says, "Oh Absalom, oh Absalom, my son, my son." And Jesus is giving a similar lament here: "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem." Jesus is not stoic about this; he's actually heartbroken. He knows that in less than 40 years, the Romans are going to come. They're going to destroy the temple. They're going to level Jerusalem. They're going to slaughter thousands of people. And this judgment is is going to be so awful. And what we really see from this text is it could have been avoided. That's what's so tragic about it. Jesus is saying, how often I would have gathered you. Right? It didn't need to be this way. Those thousands who are going to be killed. Those thousands are going to be plunged into a Christless eternity. It shouldn't have been that way. It didn't need to be that way. The Jews were God's special people. Again, they had the first-hand knowledge of God's promise to send the Messiah. They had front-row seats for Christ's ministry. So not only has this been predicted and, and, and talked about throughout the Old Testament, but now Jesus came to them, right? He was born a Jew. He ministered there in Galilee and in Israel. They had front row seats to see the coming of the Messiah. They saw him heal. They saw him cast out demons. They they heard him teach with authority. They heard him powerfully proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. They experienced his kindness. They witnessed his his authority. And yet they rejected him. They knew God's promise to send a righteous king. And yet they rejected him. And, And so Jesus is is heartbroken over this, right? Jesus had not come begrudgingly, by the way. Right? He had come willingly. This was all part of the, the, the plan of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And Jesus had come willingly to his own. He had humbled himself and, and left the glories of heaven and took on the nature of, of, of humanity and had lived among them to reveal God to them, to... To to redeem them. To proclaim the good news. Jesus was one of them. He He was a man. He was a Jewish man. And as the Gospel of John says, He had come to His own, but His own would not receive Him. They could have received Him. They could have come to Jesus for rest and peace. Time and time again, Christ had graciously invited them. Remember back in... Earlier in in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gave that beautiful invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He was was proclaiming rest from the the burdens that the, the religious leaders were putting on them with all their traditions, all their rules. They could have cast off those burdens. They could have cast off the legalistic tradition of the Pharisees and the scribes, and they could have come to Jesus and found true rest for their souls, Jesus says. And here he says, I would have lovingly gathered you in. Right? Any who come to Jesus, Jesus is by no means going to cast out. By no means is going to stiff-arm them and keep them from coming. He says, I would have gathered you in. I would have welcomed you in. As you started to make that move, I would have run to you and embraced you. Jesus, think about this picture of a, of a, of, of a hen gathering in her brood. Why why does a hen do that? Well, to protect, to, to, to care for, to nurture, to provide. That's what Jesus would have done. He would have protected them. He would have provided for them. He would have given them hope and given them a future. By embracing Jesus as Lord and Savior, if they had come to him, what would they have found? Well, again, they would have found rest for their, their souls. They would have found forgiveness of their sins. They would have found peace with God. They would have found intimate fellowship and faithful protection, never-ending love, the very things we were singing about. They would have found that. Jesus longed to do this for them. He was ready and willing to gather them and to save them. We'll come back to Matthew, of course, but turn ahead, please, to John chapter 3. I just want you to Again, be be reminded of the nature of Christ's ministry. All right, we'll start with verse sixteen, the most well known verse in the Bible, right? John three sixteen, that's page eight eighty-eight, if you're using the black Bibles. Look at John three sixteen through twenty-one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17 is especially relevant to our text in Matthew today, "For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him." Jesus saying, "How often I would have gathered you? Whoever believes in him, verse 18 is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And John goes on to explain that, right? For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. What a a summary of of Christ's ministry, right? He came to his own. His own would not receive him. The light had come into the world, but people would not come. Why? Because they loved their sin. They loved the darkness. They didn't want to come because it would expose their needs even though Jesus was right there ready to meet those needs. They didn't want them exposed. Remember the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven right they needed their needs exposed they needed to be shown their spiritual bankruptcy but they wouldn't come to jesus they didn't want to admit their need they thought they could get to heaven on their own they thought they were fine because they were jews you know again i'm thinking of the religious leaders especially they're children of abraham right they're they've got all these these religious practices and traditions that they do they wouldn't embrace Jesus as Messiah. So that's the first heading today. As is, is we see the heart of Jesus, his passionate desire that he had for his people. Second heading, we're still in verse 37 really with this. You see Israel's stubborn refusal. How often Jesus says, I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. You would not do it. Think about that statement. I mean, just take it at face value. Jesus would have delivered them, Jesus would have protected them, He would have provided them, He would have brought them safely into the arms of God. He would have, he, He'd opened the doors to the kingdom of heaven, He would have brought them into the kingdom. But they were not willing. Again, they were not willing to admit their spiritual need. They were not willing to postpone their desires for deliverance from Rome, right? They had in their mind what the Messiah should be. They had what they wanted from the Messiah. They were not willing to embrace a Messiah who would suffer to save his people. They were not willing to listen to God's word even though he taught it like no one else with authority. They were not willing to learn from Jesus, to follow him as God's Messiah. Bottom line, I mean, it says it all in this verse. They were not willing. Christ desired to bring them in, but they were not willing. And now a terrible fate awaits them. Why? Because of their stubborn refusal to embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. And again, we we rejoice in God's sovereign grace, and the Bible teaches that God's grace is what draws us. But the Bible also never takes away, never nullifies or minimizes human responsibility. The Bible says we all must repent. And and when a person is unwilling to repent, that's on them. That's their that's their sinful will. That's them suppressing the truth. That's them rejecting the truth. That's them loving their sin, loving the darkness. And they, they will be held accountable for that. And so as we, even, we certainly try to enter into this context and we, we, we grieve along with Jesus for, for Jerusalem, but yet we also think about today, right? We think about today. How many people do the same Thing today make the same tragic choice the same sinful refusal today how many people do not come under the salvation the protection the provision of christ because they are not willing they're not they're not willing to humble themselves before god their creator all right that's the that's the probably the biggest hurdle or barrier obstacle to them is pride They're not willing to humble themselves. They think, well, I can can be good enough. I can be better than than my neighbor. I can get there my way. Get to heaven my way. Again, they're not willing to humble themselves and say, I've got nothing. I've got nothing to offer. I'm, I'm bankrupt. I can't fall back on my upbringing. I can't fall back on my good works because I know all of that... Is like filthy rags. I, I fall so short of your perfection, of your glorious standard. My only hope is to throw myself on your mercy. And to embrace the Savior that you've provided, your Son Jesus Christ. Many people are not willing to do that. Maybe they like the idea of Jesus, but they still think, well, okay, I'll just kind of add Jesus to what I'm doing. No, it needs to be solely Jesus, trusting in Christ alone. Others are, not only are they unwilling to admit their need, others are just not willing to forsake their sin. Yeah, you know, I'd love to kind of believe in Jesus to, you know, have that fire insurance of not going to hell, but, but when you explain to them that no, the gospel is that you actually forsake your sin and follow Christ, you live for Him, you no longer live for yourself, they're not willing to do that. They're not, they, they want to live for themselves. Right? But that's the sin nature. Is, is I'm the, the, the God of my universe. I'm the master. But the gospel is a call to repent of that, to forsake that and say, Oh, God, you are God. And Jesus, you are Lord. That's the confession of the church, right? You are Lord. Not only are you the eternal Son of God, but you're the one who came and lived and died and rose again, and now you've been exalted to the highest place. You are reigning from heaven. You're Lord. And so many are not willing to do that, they're not willing to bow the knee to Christ. They're not willing to quit living for themselves and have Jesus as Lord of their lives. And so that's common, unfortunately. That's tragically common. And I wonder if that describes anyone here today. This unwillingness. This unwillingness to submit to Jesus. This unwillingness to give up the things of this world, to Bow the knee to Christ. And I, I pray that God will reveal himself to you today. I pray that you will see even through Israel's bad example here of, uh, that you'll be rescued and, and protected from that tragic choice if you're unwilling to embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. Think of what you would be forfeiting. Think of the peace that you would be giving up Think of the love you you would be scorning. Think of the glorious future you would be declining. Think of the beautiful Savior you would be rejecting. And so I pray today that God will powerfully overcome any unwillingness that's out here today by His sovereign grace. And we know He's able to do that. And that you'll embrace Jesus as Lord of your life. That you'll repent of your sin. That you'll turn to Jesus And say, you are Lord, and I'm a sinner, and you're the Savior, and I need you. Please save me. And so I'm praying that, and I'm also proclaiming that today. I'm I'm urging you to do that, to come under the protection of Christ today. He will deliver you. He will deliver you from bondage to sin. He will protect you from God's coming wrath. He will tenderly care for you through the trials of life. And one day He will raise you from the dead and and you'll live with Him forever. So by and large, the Jews had rejected Jesus. The religious leaders, and we'll soon see the crowds too, they were unwilling to embrace Jesus as the promised King. They were unwilling to follow Christ. because they were not willing not willing that leads to our third and final heading then in verse 38 god does not take kindly to people rejecting his son his king and so the last heading is a dreadful coming judgment a dreadful coming judgment what what was going to happen because the jews were unwilling to embrace jesus What was going to happen because of their pattern of rejection and killing God's prophets that was going to culminate in them rejecting and killing the Messiah? What would happen? Well, Jesus says in verse 38, See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, Let's look closely at these verses. Your house is left to you Desolate. What's he talking about? He's talking about the temple. But notice the way he describes it. Your house. He doesn't say my father's house like he has before, right? He says, no, this is your house. Because what he's saying is we're, we're, we're done with you guys. We're, we're out of here. This is now your house. You're all proud of it. You know, disciples are going to be talking about that. It's big, it's, it's beautiful, but it's your house. And we're not here anymore. Your house is left to you desolate. That's echoes from our scripture reading that Pastor Shannon read and, and other places in the Old Testament. Jeremiah in 2 Chronicles 24, where it was warning the the the, the, is, the nation of Israel. They had this beautiful temple, right? Solomon's temple is what we heard Pastor Shannon read t- today. And yes, they had the privilege of God's presence dwelling there, but he warned them, he said, if you forsake my ways, if you turn and follow after other idols, or after idols, then I will leave your house desolate. I won't won't be with you anymore. And that was fulfilled, by, by the way, with Solomon's temple, that was fulfilled. The judgment came in 586 B.C. when Babylon invaded uh, Jerusalem and destroyed Solomon's temple since then it was rebuilt right we read about that in in uh, Ezra and Nehemiah Zer- under Zerubbabel Herod now at the time of Jesus he had he had um, made a lot of improvements to that second temple made it real grand and and one of the wonders of the world but the same cycle was about to happen that same judgment that same coming destruction was about to happen In Jesus' day. Verse 39. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now where have we heard that phrase? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I I mentioned it, I think, when I was first starting the sermon, right? That's what they were, the people were shouting on Palm Sunday, right? Because that was uh, quoting the Messianic Psalm, right? That was people embracing him as Messiah, saying, yes, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So what's Jesus saying here? For I tell you, you will not see me again. Well, they would see him. They would see him during the trials, right? He's going to be presented before him, before the crowds, and they're going to be shouting for, no, give us Barabbas. But he's saying, you're not going to see me who I truly am in my glory until you gladly embrace me. Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I've come to you. The the promised king has come. But you're not going to see it until you embrace. Until you believe. Until you turn and repent. So here, by the way, again, right up to the end, we see these opportunities calling The people to repentance. This was another call to repentance. By God's grace maybe some did repent but we don't see. Uh, It's not recorded for us that that many did. Now verse and in the next chapter I know there's a chapter heading but really verses 1 and 2 of chapter 24 um, are kind of like a transition paragraph here because they're, they're really coming off the heels of what's just been happening in 23 in the temple but then they're also going to set us up for what's called the, the, the Olivet Discourse that Jesus teaching from the Mount of Olives so let's look at him. Jesus left the temple and was going away verse 1 when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple but he answered them you see all these do you not truly I say there will not be uh, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down So what's happening here? Well, Jesus, again, is predicting terrible coming judgment for Jerusalem. Notice, by the way, in verse 1, the way Matthew puts it here, and and he's emphasizing this because there's there's a lot of symbolism and, and importance that's happening here. Jesus left the temple and was going away. It's like Matthew takes... Two verbs, basically, and and, and to, to reiterate. Jesus left and was going away. This is Jesus leaving the temple for the final time. Again, let that sink in. Think about what's happening here. The Son of God, God Himself in the flesh, leaves the temple never to return again. The incarnate glory of God leaves the temple, making it ready for destruction. We won't take the time this morning, but if you go back and look, there's a few different places in in some chapters in Ezekiel where the prophet Ezekiel gets this vision of of the glory of the the Lord leaving the temple, deserting the temple. It's in chapters 8 through 11. It's like God departing from the temple in in, in stages, and then he finally leaves. And that's what is taking place here as well. The glory of God, the special presence of God was leaving the temple, leaving the nation of Israel in judgment because they had rejected the promised Messiah. And again, the word that just kept coming to my mind as I studied this this week is how tragic this is. The temple where God had been worshipped would soon be destroyed. Why? Because when God Himself came, they would not worship Him. The Jews would not worship him. The temple where God's presence had dwelt in a special way, was gonna, that temple was going to be left desolate and it was going to be leveled because they rejected the Son of God who came to them in a, the most special way. <clears throat> the temple where countless sacrifices and offerings had been, had been offered, all that were pointing to the coming of Christ. And now when Christ himself shows up, they, they, they reject him. Now with Christ, the one to whom all those sacrifices pointed to, the one who fulfilled all the, those offerings, he is not welcomed by the Jews or by the leaders of the temple. And so a dreadful judgment was coming upon Israel. Jesus left the temple and was going away. Never to return. As he's walking out, as, as they're leaving, we get the rest of verse 1. The disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. Mark's account records um, them saying, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. And it's understandable why, from a human standpoint, they would have been enamored with the beauty and the majesty of the temple. The history records that it was truly one of the great wonders of the Roman world. By, by the time we, of Jesus' day, that temple, under you know, the leadership of Herod, had been under construction for 50 years, and it was nearing completion. <laughs> Herod had the temple area built to measure some 325 meters wide by 500 meters long, with a circumference of nearly a mile. The immense 35-acre enclosure could accommodate 12 football fields, and the stones that were used in the foundation of the temple, were said to be about the size of boxcars. So it's no wonder, again, why the disciples would be in awe of that. But do you think Jesus is impressed? (laughs) No. He's not impressed because he knows what is awaiting the temple. He knows the fate So here the disciples are gawking over the size and beauty of the temple and Jesus says in verse 2, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And his words were proved true in less than 40 years. In 70 AD, the Roman general Titus destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. The first century Jewish historian Josephus described the devastation like this. Titus ordered the whole city and the temple to be razed to the ground. All the rest of the wall encompassing the city was so completely leveled to the ground as to leave future visitors to the spot. No ground for believing that it had ever been inhabited. That's the way that the Josephus recorded it. Jesus' words were true. All those great stones, all, all, the, all the huge structure was leveled to where you couldn't even tell it was there. Israel, the nation God had created for Himself, would soon be conquered and scattered. Jerusalem, the city where God had chosen to dwell in a special way among His people, would soon be destroyed. The temple where God had met with His people as they worshipped Him would be leveled. Again, because Israel had rejected God's promised King. And so now God was rejecting them. God was removing His presence... To signify that judgment was coming. And we'll get into that more, that chapter 24, we'll talk about that more. But another thing chapter 24 is going to talk about is the fact that there's another judgment coming. There's another judgment coming. The Bible describes it as an eternal judgment. Where all who have not embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior will be cut off from the loving presence of God and cast into hell. And once again, this passage shows us God's heart, doesn't it? Shows us the heart of Jesus that He desires to save. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Right? None of us deserve another breath because of our sin. But why are you still alive? Why are you here? Why are you hearing the truth of the gospel? Because God is patient with you. And some of you perhaps have not turned to him and embraced him. God is being patient with you. He's calling you to repentance today. And he delights to save. So turn to God. Forsake your sin. Admit that you've rebelled against God and need his forgiveness. Admit that you cannot save yourself. That your only hope is for God to forgive you through Christ. Confess that Jesus is Lord and, that, and confess and declare that by God's grace you want to live for Christ. And the Bible says everyone who does that will be saved. Will be saved on the basis of Christ's perfect life, His sacrificial death, and his, his victorious resurrection. You'll be saved. You'll be saved from the coming judgment. All your sins will be forgiven. You'll be credited with the righteousness of Christ. God will reconcile you to Himself. He'll adopt you into His family. He'll come to live inside you by His Spirit. And He'll promise that one day He'll raise you from the dead and you'll be with Him forever. And and So that you'll be welcomed into the heavenly kingdom. So that you'll you'll have the promise of knowing that you'll be protected when, when Christ returns and when He judges all His enemies and the wrath of God comes and people are cast into hell, you'll be protected from that because you're one of his. And you'll get to enjoy the glorious and loving presence of God forever. So this, is a, this, this sermon shows us God's heart. It shows us our need. It shows us that judgment is coming. And it shows that, that God is a God who's mighty to save and he's willing to save. So come to him. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for your word, and we praise you that how Christ reveals uh, who you are to us, Lord, and and not only just the words he said today, but even just his whole life, Lord, shows that your heart of compassion, your heart of compassion for, for those who are suffering and those who are sinners. We praise you, Lord, for being such a gracious God that you would go to such great lengths, to, to rescue rebels like us. We praise You, Lord, for um, the, Your heart that You delight to save all who turn to You. And so, Father, I pray that, that even today you, you would be opening the eyes of, of those who don't know You. Lord, show them their sin. Uh, show them the truth of, of coming judgment. But, but shine a spotlight, Father, on the Savior that you have provided. Lord, may they run to Christ in repentance and faith. Under, under Christ, may they be, find that protection from God's wrath to come. May, like, like a little child running to their, their father, may they, may they uh, embrace Jesus and, and feel his embrace of them as they commit to follow him as Lord and Savior. And Father, for those of us who already know you, we, we may this just remind us of the grace you have shown us. I pray that it would also uh, show us your heart for unbelievers. Father, again, please give us opportunities to proclaim the, the gospel. You are still saving people. You are still uh, rescuing them from the wrath to come. May we go out in in obedience to you and in confidence that you are a God who's mighty to save and and who's loving to save. And so may we plead with people as your ambassadors to be reconciled to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand please and we'll sing a a final song of of praise and, and commitment.